Please pray with me. Almighty God, you are the living God who gives us a living hope. You are God and there is no other. You are God and there is none like you. You are sovereign, the life-giving, life-changing Lord of life. You carry us so close to your heart that no one can snatch us from your hand. O oh Lord, our beautiful Savior, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Illuminate your truth. Purify our faith. And now, O oh God, make your face shine upon your servant that I might teach your word with accuracy, Holy Spirit power, and great joy. This I pray in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you were to sell your faith in God on the open market, what price would you place on it? How valuable is your faith? As Peter opens his first letter, he contrasts the value of faith with the value of gold. Throughout human history, gold has been a valuable commodity. It still is today. In the United States, we used to have what is called the gold standard. U.S. currency or paper money was backed by gold, which gave it its value. Eventually, paper money was no longer backed by gold, but by the power or the integrity of the government. Disconnecting the backing of gold from our currency contributed to the Great Depression, the longest and deepest economic downturn in modern history. Earlier in the year 1900, a man named Frank Baum wrote a children's story called The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. 64 years after it was published, a high school history teacher wrote an article outlining how he believed Baum's novel was an allegory about U.S. economics and politics. He noted that Oz is an abbreviation for the standard quantity of gold which is measured in ounces. Dorothy represents the everyday American. The tin woodman is symbolic of workers in the lumber industry. His rust symbolizes their prolonged unemployment. The scarecrow is a literal straw man, a stereotype of a supposed dumb rural farmer. The lion is symbolic of a man named William Jennings Bryan. He was a presidential candidate for the populist party who courageously argued to keep the gold standard. The yellow brick road, of course, represents the gold standard, and it was a hotly debated issue of Baum's day. The munchkins represent the little people, oppressed by the wicked witch of the East who represents bankers and capitalists. After their journey down the yellow brick road, Dorothy and her companions finally reach the wizard, who represents the President of the United States, and discover that behind the curtain, his power is all smoke and mirrors. Some believe the Wizard of Oz is a satire about gold and the gold standard. For believers, the Christian life is about God and his standard of faith. I call this the God standard. 
that God's standard of faith is a pure faith that is far more valuable than gold. This faith is a gift of God's grace. In the opening words of 1 Peter, Peter points out that our faith is valuable not only to us, but also to God. Therefore, he actively works to reveal it, then refine it. Just as gold is refined by fire that burns away impurities, Peter says the fires of suffering and affliction refine our faith because God's goal for his people is pure faith. That is the truth we see revealed in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-12, through 12, that God's goal for his people is a pure faith. We will look at that in two divisions, revealed faith and refined faith. So our first division is revealed faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5. If you open your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter begins his letter by identifying himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. This means he was an eyewitness to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the foundation of the church, along with all the apostles and prophets who received the revelation of Christ. After introducing himself as an apostle, Peter launches into a doctrine-packed greeting that reveals the faith that belongs to the people of God. Now, faith is most simply defined as trusting or believing God and acting upon it. The Bible teaches that true saving faith must have three elements, content or an object of faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. Second, saving faith consents to a personal loving trust in Jesus Christ. Third, saving faith commits to repent and follow Jesus. Peter addresses the people of God as elect exiles of the dispersion. Then he lists the places where they live. When he uses the word elect, Peter reminds his Gentile readers of the privileged, secure position that belongs to those who are objects of God's sovereign, gracious choosing. This refers to the mind-boggling doctrine of unconditional election, a difficult doctrine for most people to grasp, mostly because it's human nature to want to save ourselves by earning God's favor. It is also human nature to believe that we all deserve to be saved. The truth is, is that no one deserves God's saving grace. We are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. That is, we all fall short of the God standard of holiness. In Peter's day, the elect, those chosen by God for salvation, were exiles. Peter calls them the dispersion which in Greek is the diaspora. 
Originally, Greek-speaking Jews used this term for the Jews who lived outside of Palestine. Peter uses the word here in a higher spiritual sense to refer to all Christians, Jews and Gentiles alike, as living in exile because this world is not their home. For the believer, heaven is home. That is where our hope is anchored. Of his own sovereign initiative, God chooses those who will receive his active saving love. As the forever reigning king of kings, he has the sovereign right to choose his kingdom people. R.C. Sproul connects God's electing grace to the Christian faith by saying, People are not elect because they have faith, but they are elected to have faith. Faith itself is the result of God's electing grace. Peter links God's foreknowledge and electing love with the Holy Spirit's work of applying that redemption to the elect in verse 2, saying they are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. God's foreknowledge means that he decided before the world was created, who would say yes to him? God's people are elected or chosen by him in the sanctification of the Spirit. The doctrine of sanctification refers to the Holy Spirit's work of setting believers apart from sin through regeneration or new birth and faith. Sanctification is a lifelong work of the Holy Spirit that progressively purifies believers to be more and more like Christ. By faith, a believer's values increasingly conform to God's values because God's goal for his people is a pure faith. The Holy Spirit does this purifying work in us. After noting this, Peter writes that the exiled elect have been chosen for a reason for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. This means that the elect are chosen with the goal of obedient faith, not because of their obedient faith. Peter is referring to a believer's initial submission to Christ as Lord, not a believer's whole life of obedience. Verse 2 reveals the work of the Trinity, or the triune God in salvation. God the Father elected or chose his people before the foundation of the world. God the Holy Spirit applies his salvation to them through his sanctifying work so that they can obey Jesus Christ. And this is possible because they have been sprinkled with his cleansing, redeeming blood. This points to the doctrines of atonement and redemption. Scripture teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no salvation from sin. Peter uses the Old Testament symbolism of sprinkling the blood of animals on the altar of the tabernacle to show that Christ's death satisfies God's justice and made atonement for our sins. His shed blood makes us acceptable in the sight of God because it pays the full penalty for our sin. 
God has laid claim on his people. They are redeemed or bought, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. If you are a believer, you belong to him. He is your Lord, your master, as well as your beautiful Savior. Peter ends his greeting with a blessing at the end of verse 2. This blessing is the purpose of Christian faith, that grace and peace be multiplied. Grace is a gift of God, and the Holy Spirit applies this gift to God's people. Combined with grace, the word peace expands on the Jewish concept of shalom. God ordained peace for his people through Messiah's work on the cross. On the cross, he bore the judgment of God's just wrath against sinners and made peace between Jew and Gentile, as well as between a holy God and sinful human beings. By his wounds, we are healed from the deadly plague of sin. Truly, he is a beautiful Savior. After his doctrinally rich greeting, Peter opens his epistle with a doxology, literally a study of glory. Doxa means glory. Ology means study. So literally a study of glory. This is the heart of true Christian worship. And in this doxology, Peter speaks of a living hope. Hope is a key word in 1 Peter. He reminds alienated and suffering Christian exiles that their hope is anchored in their true heavenly home. He sings to bless the name of God the Father for his great mercy. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's great mercy is mentioned to emphasize that salvation flows from God's loving initiative. Mercy means that we do not get what we deserve. With regard to salvation from sin, it means that we do not receive the death penalty our sin earns us. Instead, we receive the gracious gift of Christ's shed blood to pay our sin debt, as well as the gift of Christ's righteousness. God's people are foreigners in a world of sinners who live in rebellion against God. When they follow Jesus Christ in obedient faith, they witness God's saving grace to a watching world. This is why God's goal for his people is a purified faith. The scattered, exiled people of God live out their faith in the world, but are not of the world. They live differently than those who are not Christians. They live as ones who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To be born again is to receive new birth or new life in Christ, which ushers believers into a life marked by a living hope. A living hope, it will not die or disappear. It is a permanent hope. 
In the Bible, hope is not an uncertainty. It's not wishful thinking. It is a confident, I know so expectation based on the certainty of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. What God says he will do, he does. In his sovereign power, he has caused us to be born again to this living hope. Peter says that he did this by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter, like Paul and John, never got over the life-changing, mind-altering resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just when it seemed all hope was lost, Jesus emerged from the grave, then ascended to his Father's heavenly throne. Because he did, believers are not now heirs and co-heirs with Christ. They are born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is verse 4. Now in Joshua, we read that the promised land was Israel's promised inheritance. But unlike the inheritance of the promised land, nothing on earth can alter or destroy a believer's inheritance. Our inheritance is not a piece of land here on earth. It is our salvation from sin. If you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, your salvation is your inheritance. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Peter stresses that a believer's inheritance or salvation, it's rock solid. In fact, believers have a protected faith because it is guarded by the omnipotent power of God. No one and nothing can unsave a child of God. Verse 5 says that God's people, true believers, are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This refers to the ultimate fulfillment of our salvation. Believers are saved from the penalty of sin. That debt was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you see the beauty of our Savior? Believers are saved from the power of sin. This is a present reality. We have Christ resurrection power beating within us so that we can resist the temptation to sin. Ultimately, believers will be saved from the very presence of sin. This is the salvation which will be revealed in the last time. This refers to a believer's glorification in heaven. Until then, the faith of every believer is protected by the omnipotent power of God. That's our first truth. The faith of every believer is protected by the omnipotent power of God. How does trusting Christ as your beautiful Savior affect the decisions you make and the actions you take? How could trust in Him help you exhibit a biblical 
I know so faith when fear and doubt creep in. In the wonderful Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and her companions are compelled by their faith in the wizard's ability to give them what they need. They travel down the yellow brick road to the Emerald City, an allegory for Washington, D.C. Along the way, they encounter many different reasons to fear and doubt. An evil witch, flying monkeys, a sleep-inducing field of poppies. Now, believers encounter many more reasons to fear and doubt. Yet, they can trust in the one who is the object of their faith. This is our beautiful, beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. God's power guards the faith of all who are in Christ until they are glorified in heaven. What an amazing truth. The faith of every believer is protected by the omnipotent power of God. Therefore, our faith should be plainly revealed in how we live as exiles on this earth, and our faith will be refined by what we experience in this life. So our second division is refined faith, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The words in this refer us back to verses 4 and 5, and God's gracious work that gives believers genuine faith and a glorious inheritance. Peter calls us to rejoice because of the inheritance that will be ours in glory. He knows that believers need to rejoice in God's gracious gifts to be sustained when they are grieved by trial and suffering. This introduces the central theme of Peter's letter. Remember, he is writing to suffering persecuted Christians. His instruction is for them to rejoice even in suffering. He points to how temporary such suffering is. He says it is for a little while. This is temporary when contrasted to the eternal glory that awaits believers. Then in verse 7, Peter hones in on God's goal of pure faith. He says, They have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you want your faith to rise to the God standard of faith? It must be tested. And God tests genuine of faith, genuineness of faith by the fire of trials and suffering. Gold is purified by burning away impurities. Trials serve the same purpose for a believer's faith. They burn away all that is not of God, all worldliness, all self-sufficiency, all idolatry, until all that remains is a faith that is purer 
and more precious than gold. This, Peter says, is the kind of faith that will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ refers to his second coming. He came first as a suffering servant to live the life of perfect obedience that we fail to live, die the death on the cross that we deserve to die for our sins, and be raised to new life, forever defeating the power of sin and death in all who place their faith in him. When Jesus comes again, he will come as the conquering king. R.C. Sproul writes that faith is refined so at the last day, at the final consummation of the kingdom of Christ, it will be the occasion for praise, honor, and glory. God values your faith more than he values your gold or your present comfort. This is the God standard for faith, a refined faith, a pure faith. That is his goal for his people. In verse 8, Peter captures the essence of biblical faith, saying, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Hebrews 11.1 1 provides the only definition of faith found in the Bible. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is the faith Peter's readers possess. He marvels over how they believe Jesus and love Jesus, even though they have not seen him. Peter had seen him. He lived with him and learned from him. So, of course, he believed him. Peter's faith was refined or purified by all he endured as he accompanied Jesus. Then, as he stepped into his ordained role of apostle and church leader, he understood that it takes a greater faith to believe what you have not seen. Jesus agrees. In John 20, 29, he tells a doubting Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Peter says that those who possess this kind of faith rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Is this the kind of faith you have? Do you believe what God says in his word? Do you act on what you believe? Faith is believing God and acting upon it. This is how you progressively purify your faith until you obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is what Peter writes in verse 9. Believers endure trials and suffering by keeping the end goal in sight, the glory of the full and complete salvation of their souls, not only from the penalty and the power of sin, but from the very presence of sin. That is cause to rejoice with inexpressible joy. 
Peter continues to marvel over such faith, pointing to a prophesied faith that became the faith he and his apostles proclaimed. He says in verses 10 through 11, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Throughout Scripture, God tells his prophets what will happen, but he rarely tells them when and how these events will occur. Peter points out that the prophets of old proclaimed the saving grace of God while they carefully inquired about the content of our faith. Faith is always in something. In the Christian faith, that something is a someone, Jesus Christ, our beautiful Savior. The prophets who saw the promised Messiah in their prophecies inquired about the timing of his suffering and subsequent glory. God told the prophets that his son would indeed suffer and die to save his people and then be raised to new life and glorified in heaven. Today, all believers inherit the full message of the prophets. Theologian Edmund Clowney says that the least disciples of Christ is in a better position to understand Old Testament revelation than the greatest prophet before Christ came. The cosmic sweep of God's redemption is all centered in Christ, whom we know and love. The petty dreams of earth's little tyrants shrivel before the majesty of the kingdom of God, ministered by prophets and apostles, but now realized for those who know Christ. You and I, we imitate Christ as we suffer first and then enter into glory. Suffering comes before glory in the same way the precious blood of Christ had to be shed to open the pathway to a believer's glory. Glory. This is God's goal for his people. And God uses whatever it takes to purify or refine our faith until it reaches the God standard of purity. In verse 12, Peter continues to speak about God's prophets, saying, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. God revealed to his prophets that their messages served future generations. What they spoke about did not happen in their lifetimes, but in the lifetime of Peter's believers, Peter's readers. Now, Peter says, it has been announced to you by those who proclaimed or preached the good news. He is saying that Holy Spirit-filled apostles preached the gospel message of redemption of sinners 
by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the message the angels long to investigate. They are celestial beings who will never know the thrill of being redeemed or purchased by and for God. But they are fascinated by it. They stand in awe of the faith that God instills in his elect. They worship the infinitely holy God whose goal for his people is the holiness of a pure faith. Because God's goal for his people is a pure faith, his Holy Spirit works to purify the faith of every believer. So our second truth is that the faith of every believer is purified by the Holy Spirit of God. Which impurities in your faith need to be burned away? What steps will you take to pursue the God standard of pure faith? When Dorothy finally reached the Emerald City and brought her request to the Wizard of Oz, he sent her back down the yellow brick road to kill the wicked witch of the West and bring him her broomstick. Great trial and suffering ensued as Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Lion fought off flying monkeys and the evil witch to obey the wizard's command. Likewise, believers who seek a pure faith must walk in obedience to God's commands. As we do, we will encounter trials. We will suffer. But God uses these to purify our faith until we join his suffering servant Job in saying, He knows the way that I take, and he pays attention to it. When he has tried me, I will come forth as refined gold, pure and luminous. My feet have carefully followed his steps. I have kept his ways and not turned aside. We take steps to pursue a pure faith by obeying God's word so that we can keep his ways. We pursue a pure faith by cooperating with the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work in us humbly and fully surrendering to his work that makes us more and more like Christ. We pursue a pure faith when we endure trials and sufferings that God allows, seeking his sovereign purposes for them. And even when we cannot understand our afflictions, we pursue a pure faith by making every effort to live to the praise of God's glory. Praise God that the faith of every believer is being purified by the Holy Spirit of God. He will continue to purify our faith until it is more precious than gold. How valuable is your faith? Has it reached the preciousness of the gold standard? Or has it been purified to the God standard?
God's goal for his people is a pure faith. A pure faith in the power of the Wizard of Oz sent Dorothy on the treacherous journey down the yellow brick road to the Emerald City. But the wizard proved to be a fraud, a little old man who ruled by deceiving the people into thinking that he is more than he really is. Once he was exposed, he tells Dorothy that he is not a very good wizard. Her faith had been misplaced. This is not true of the Lord God Almighty. The Christian faith is in one who is far greater than any human wizard. His mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Christian faith is backed by the all-powerful, sovereign, and all-sufficient God. He is faithful. He can be trusted. The inheritance he gives us is an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading salvation that leads us through the yellow brick road of life, fraught with trial and suffering, straight to glory in heaven. There, our faith will be fully realized and utterly pure because we will come face to face with our beautiful Savior. Please pray with me. Oh, great and glorious God, you are holy, 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 utterly pure, completely good, abounding in loving kindness. You only desire what is best for your people, including a pure faith. Holy Spirit, do your sanctifying work in us. Grow our faith. Burn away all that tarnishes it or defiles it. Use every trial, every affliction, and every bit of our suffering to refine our faith until it is more precious than gold. This we ask in the name of our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the light of our souls, our joy, and our crown. Amen.